0: This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and right
1: Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Let's
0: check in with Greg Murphy. Murph, you got a special guest, huh? Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Bet Park Sportsbook and Casino app, the great folks at Shy Vintage Sports and Phillies Nation. We thank you for being here with us, and uh, we are really excited to have our guest on today. He's a guy that we've been trying to get on for a while, but, you know, he's a big radio star now, so uh, his schedule is pretty tied up, but we got him, and he is ready to tell some Glove Stories uh, about his absolutely terrific career in major league baseball and minor league baseball and i mean that in in the fullest sense maybe not necessarily in terms of uh production all the time but eric kratz has certainly made the most of his talent he made the most of his time in the big leagues and we welcome him into the program gracie good to see you man thanks for having me on murph and that those were you almost
2: made me blush
0: <laughs> oh, and that's hard to do. So I, I, good. I feel good about that. But you, you know what? I, when I think about your career, uh, parts of eleven seasons in the big leagues, and if I did the math right, parts of eighteen seasons in the minor leagues. You 19. talk about 19, nineteen. There you go. So I was an English major in college, so there's there, there's the math. <laughs> but uh, you talk about you know being a survivor and being a guy that always had his eye on the prize. That was you. And, and I would imagine that started at a very young age for you. Am I right about that?
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe ignorantly. Um, I think, I think so many kids have the dream of playing in the big leagues um, and not really understanding what that means. Cause I didn't know any big leaguers. Shoot. I didn't even know any minor leaguers. Right. Like I saw some like passing, but so I had, I had that dream, the difference between me and other people, I feel like wasn't necessarily the ability. I just never lost that dream. And I ended up growing into it and kind of continued to improve. And something that I never got at it, ability been in basketball or football because those sports, you don't have it. You're just, you're just out. You just can't yeah. be like, ah, uh, you know what? I'll just try a little harder. But baseball allows you to do that.
0: Oh, that's an interesting comparison. I was going to ask you, as a, as a young guy uh, growing up uh, in Pennsylvania, did, did you play other sports? I'm assuming you did. I'm assuming you were one of the better athletes, uh, you know, out there. And uh, so so what did you do when you weren't playing baseball? I
2: played soccer. In high school, I played soccer and baseball. Um, the basketball team wanted me to play, but i I didn't want to go to all the camps. That you had to go to like basketball in our area was like one of the first ones. Like I go to the summer camp and this summer and that. And I'm like, Can I just play? Like yeah. I just like to play. Um, but those, so yeah, I, I I played all the sports, was was rock skipping a sport? Because I would go down to the pond and skip rocks too. That's I was I was almost pro that.
0: Yeah, I can I can imagine how good you would be at, at rock skipping uh, and a lot of time put in. You know, you're born in 1980. All right. So the, the Phillies win the World Series the year you're born. Uh, you're growing up just outside of Philadelphia. You are a Phillies fan. I'm noticing your shirt right now. For those of you just listening on the audio portion, he has the veteran stadium commemorative T-shirt on right now. So you were 13 in 1993. I'm wondering how much of that team shaped your fandom with the Philadelphia Phillies.
2: Oh, my goodness. I mean, growing up before that, Mike Schmidt was my favorite, absolute favorite player. Yeah. I played, I played third base. I didn't catch until later on when I wasn't very, when I wasn't very good at third base. But so I was a Phillies fan through and through. Boy, like the Phillies, the Phillies took me through that awkward stage. Pete Gavilia, yep. Jim Eisenreich, Kevin Stoker, Milt Thompson, Kurt Schilling. I mean, Danny Jackson, I, that was, that was the team. And then to add on top of that, guess who drafts me? The blue Jays. That's like, right. There was a team. There was 20 <laughs> other teams that could have drafted me. And the blue jays draft me like the blue jays of all people like if joe carter had called me and told me i was i'd have been like you mind if someone else calls like i really want to be drafted but freaking Blue
0: Jays. yeah i get that because i was a similar i'm about 10 years older than you but i had the similar feelings about that blue jays organization for a long time um but you did get drafted and it's a it's a, obviously a boyhood dream uh and uh you make your way into the minor leagues and you know looking back you really progressed pretty quickly through the minor leagues you're coming out of a division 3 school you're the only player ever to be drafted out of your college um Eastern Mennonite and you came into the minor leagues and and really excelled and i wonder uh, was the confidence just there right from the beginning for you, or were you faking it your, the whole way through?
2: I was faking it because in Division three, in Division three sports at that time, it wasn't like it is now. Like, yeah. I feel like the competition has gone because of travel ball and everything. I think a, a lot of kids have a lot of experience in in uh, just higher level baseball. So not everybody makes it to Division one, Division two. And Division three baseball now is better than it was when I was there. And I did not have a lot of confidence. so I high school, but I, I graduated college at twenty one and I was I would I didn't have the advantage of playing at a high level in my first game, I sat there and you know, I'm watching these Dominican kids throwing 95 plus and, you know, other college kids. They're, they're ready to go like they're they're used to this whole environment. It feels like it feels like it's kind of even a downgrade for them. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting for my first game. I think it was two or three days. till I played and I go out there to I go out there to play. And the kid on the mound is just throwing what looked to me like cheese, like (laughs) blowing, blowing cheese. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking, is my swing going to work? Is this going to be fine? And my first at bat, I hit a home run and I'm like, wow, fooled them. (laughs) so
0: i I, I, did it click then or does it still take some time before you say to yourself okay i belong here and then you start looking at that next level and you say okay maybe i belong there what was the process for you because for so many guys um you know I, i that i've talked to over the years they doubt themselves at every level
2: yeah i think i think for me the results were there i think the doubting ironically came from a place that it shouldn't come from. It came from the organization. Wow! It, on, yeah. I went on the DL. I went on, you know, I was hitting 300 as a player, going into my fourth season, third season, and they put me on the phantom DL for almost the entire year. Mm. And then 2005, and I win Player of the Month for the first month of the year. Now in new Hampshire, it's like six degrees for the whole month. <laughs> So I was fine. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm good with playing through the cold. So I think that was part of why I did well. And my hitting coach came up to me when I got, when I got the honor, you know, you're supposed to get a plaque, but it really showed me what the blue Jays thought of me. I never got my plaque. I never got any of that. You're supposed to get a hundred dollar bonus, which at the time would have been so awesome. Yeah. And, and so my hitting coach comes up to me, he goes, you know what? Congratulations. It's never going to last. Oh, wow. And I'm like, and, and, you know, to my, to my fault, I was like, okay, well, what do I need to do? He's like, you want to hit in the big leagues? He said, you're going to have to do this and that. And I'm like, great. The whole month I was pulling every ball. I was smashing balls to left, left center, center field. And he's like, you got to learn to be able to hit with power to right field. So I'm like, all right, here we go. And I, I learned to hit the right field. And it went like this, <laughs> and so and so I had the confidence probably the first two or three years and then there was like a two year stretch where you know the results were not good and I was in double a and it yeah it went it went bad it it, it really went bad it you know, was
0: it, yeah I, I was going to say it's so interesting to hear that because um you know these organizations invest a lot of money into young, I maybe mean, not a lot of money, but some money into young players, um, as they make their way through and, uh, to, to, to sabotage someone like that or to potentially sabotage. But I, I know you have an incredible support system back at home. I'm sure you had some teammates as well. Uh, what do you remember about that time? Who did you lean on to be like, Hey man, you got this. So many,
2: so many people I, I, I heard, you know, my wife, my wife was my biggest. Yeah. Supporter, obviously, my my dad, my, my family, my mom, my sisters. You know, they were all, I had so much support. But the biggest thing I learned from all of that, you know, they weren't purposely trying to sabotage me. The biggest thing I learned was you need to do it. You need to do it for yourself and you need to, you know, focus on what makes you better in a team sense. And it was, you know, it was, I'm so glad and grateful. I'm so glad and grateful that I got the opportunity to struggle in the minor leagues and then still continue to progress because a lot of my buddies struggled and never got got another opportunity whether it's in the minor leagues or they're in the big leagues and they went through their first struggle where like a coach was what I just call overcoaching because I don't think there's any coaches with some ill intent out there. But it's one of those things that they learned at a level where it was like, oh, like he's fizzled out. He can't do it. It's like, oh, he can definitely do it. It's just how many opportunities you get to struggle.
0: Yeah. And and I read a quote of yours uh, from a couple of years back where you talked a, about that and about how you felt blessed that uh, you were able to, you know, continue to get opportunities. Um, but I would imagine, Eric, and knowing you the way I do, that a lot of those opportunities came um, for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost, um, you know, you're a guy that everybody likes to be around for, you know, and I do think that's important in a in a baseball clubhouse, whether it be in the minor leagues or the major leagues, you're a leader uh, as a catcher that's obviously important, and you're a guy that is never going to shy away from the hard work that it takes to succeed, and you know talent levels are different in baseball for sure. But uh, but hard work you you can't replicate that I mean you either do it or you don't and uh, I would imagine that organizations and and the list of organizations that you played for all kind of looked at those qualities and said yeah he's a guy we can find a spot for do you think that's a fair statement
2: that is definitely a fair statement and another the other things that I focus on I always tell I tell kids like. The first, like the hard work, like people are like, oh, I I worked hard. So, so I need to get some, no, the hard work is like, that's ground zero. Like if you want to go up from there, you have to put in the hard work. You have to put in the dedication to your teammates Mm -hmm. and then you go from there. And I was, and I, and I really the writer of my book doesn't want to call it the seconds, (laughs) but I was, I was one of, I was one of the seconds because they're always going to choose somebody. That has a higher upside younger um faster stronger better looking more hair whatever it is they're gonna they're gonna choose that person first <laughs> and then you know then they're like ah, you know the injury or that guy doesn't work out or that kind of stuff and hey i'm still here i know you didn't pick me first but you can pick me now you know so i guess it's kind of swallowing your pride a little bit but i guess if i talk
0: about that then that's not swallowing my pride <laughs> right you're, you're you're honest with yourself you're looking in the mirror and saying yeah. and, and and that's kind of what happened with your second go-around with toronto am i right uh in the big leagues you, you thought you had an opportunity to make the team right out of um spring training you had a decent spring training and next thing you know you're being told that you're headed down to uh to triple a and you're you were at a point in your career at that point where you had the boxy and the and the ability to go into the manager's office and say hey what gives i thought i was going to get a chance <laughs> right
2: it was definitely yes it was a at the moment when i walked out of the room if i tell you what i said <laughs> I, I i thought to myself well you've never done that before and i can see why you don't because i could see the books on everybody's faces but i really think i mean i was very fortunate that in that moment i had built up enough street cred to that, that that was actually a positive that i told i didn't tell them off but basically the back story short is they traded for me to catch ra dickey mm-hmm. and you know it's like nobody catches it you just slow the knuckleball down you know you <laughs> pick it up when it's done rolling that's what you do with the knuckleball and so i you know i I loved my time in Philly. I, I didn't want to leave. And to the point where Ruben had told me the offseason before they're not going after anybody. I was going to be the backup again. Scooch and I, Chooch and I, we, <clears throat> you know, we had a great camaraderie. We really, it was like, you know, we talked about what happened the day before. So it was like we never were out of the game. You know, it was always, obviously Chooch was better than I was, but, It was something that we were always for the pitchers. We were always bouncing stuff off each other and we felt like it was a great team and the organization felt like it was a great team. Well, the Blue Jays came to upgrade at their catching position and they ended up trading for me. I went in the offseason to catch Dickie, you know, during my time off in the offseason. I went to go catch him at his house and, you know, so I was doing everything I could to to be able to catch him and to be able to do it as well as I could, and he was going to be the opening day starter. So I caught him all spring training, and they call me into the office. I hit 400 in spring training, and they call me in the office and they say, uh, "We're going to go ahead and go with Toley, Josh Toley, who was his normal everyday catcher from you know from his years of winning a Cy Young with the Mets and all that stuff." and they're like we're gonna go ahead and go totally we're gonna option you down to triple a and i paused and i'm like i let like there's a pause in the room i'm like i was like this is the gm talking
0: okay I'm, are
2: you serious <laughs> like, are you serious you traded for me i said you can look at my numbers of what i did the last two years in philadelphia as the backup catcher. As a starting catcher, eh, it's not great numbers. As a backup catcher, you know I'm from Philadelphia. You know I have a family. You know I'm 30 at the time. I was 33. I said, "So you traded for me to send me to AAA?" And I and I lean back in my chair and I go, <laughs> "I go same organization, different colors." And like wow. everybody else, like perked up. The GM because the GM wasn't there at the same time when I was there the first time going through the minor leagues and the, but the manager was and all of it, the, the bench coach was in there. The manager was in there. The general manager was in there. The assistant general manager. I mean, the room was the size of this car and <laughs> so it was, you could feel everybody's emotion kind of and, and the manager, John Gibbons. he goes, well, what was what that supposed to mean? Kratz?" I was like, what's that supposed to mean, Gibby? I said, I said, you guys traded for me for insurance. I said, that's fine if I'm 26 years old and trying to toil my way back and and forth in the big leagues. Sure. I said, I don't know when my next game in the big leagues is going to be. I said, you guys came to get me, and now you're just going to stash me down in the minor leagues? I go, I go what do you want me to do? You want me to throw a knuckleball up in the air and catch it to myself in AAA? Like, how am I going to get better? I said, you know what you guys need to think about? You guys need to think about the people that you're trading for and not just the product. Yeah. And it was like, it was like, there was silence in the room and the GM, the GM, I'll never forget it. I look over at him and he's like, he's like shaking his head and smiling. Alex Anthopoulos, like, Maybe one of the best he's now. Yeah, certainly now. Yeah. And, and he cares. I find out after this, he cares a lot about people. But to call him out could have been the end of my career. Because it's not like I'm like, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he could have just been like, you know, sending out messages to everybody. Aaron, sure. Brad, turd, turd, turd.
0: Right and, and you, you had and you had that positive reputation your entire career so it would have tarnished it a little bit had he done something like that
2: for sure and that that would not have been good yeah. and fast forward to July and I get traded to the Royals fast forward 6 years from then I meet <laughs> the Royals scout or Royals assistant GM who traded for me And they said the only reason they traded for me was because of the glowing marks that everybody said about me, about how I am not afraid to call out people when they need to be called out for the betterment of the team. And I really think that's from Alex because I know Alex came to me after they called me up that year for opening day. I ended up being on the opening day roster because there was an injury and I filled in for that.
0: That's right.
2: Uh, and, And and he was like i really appreciate what you said in that meeting
0: yeah Uh, you know i think great leaders you know at every level great leaders appreciate people who dissent and people who i mean there's a way to do it for sure but uh but it's important that folks hear someone disagreeing with them in leadership positions because that's what makes them better as well. And uh, and that goes to every level. And if a general manager is willing to accept that, whether it comes from a player or, or someone on his staff, I, you know, it just makes them better. And then obviously Alex has continued to grow in this business. So I would think that that applies to him.
2: Yeah. And and like you said, there's, there's, there's a way to do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you were right on the edge. <laughs> <Don't lie. laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Now, if I said something like that, it it would be different yeah well let me I, I i want to take you back to your time in philly between 2011 and 2013 there's two or three more things i want to touch on before i let you go so uh your time in philly um you, you obviously the team you grew up rooting for it's your second st- you made your major, major league debut in pittsburgh got a hit in your first at bat uh if i'm not mistaken you got an rbi in your first game as well um so you just kind of knocking things off well actually let me ask you that because everybody remembers that day. What was that like for you? Only out in Pittsburgh, I'm sure you had a ton of folks there to support you.
2: I had I had so many to support they, you know, they'll they'll show like like three to five people that are there to needed the wide heads to show the whole row of people that were there. Yeah. And that's you know that was, that was a good thing, and that was a little bit of a difficult thing, too, for me because, because I had to, like, sign everybody in for tickets. And so it was like, okay, tickets? Okay, game tickets now? Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, a little bit stressful for my first game, but, yeah, you get, you get your first hit out of the way in your first game, that was, that was good. I went my first two at-bats, I didn't get a hit. A pop-up and I don't remember what I did my second at bat, but my third at bat, the inning before Laz Diaz is the home plate umpire, and he goes, he he leans in just during a pitch while I was catching. He leans in and he rubs my back and he goes, Hey, he goes, This next inning, we're gonna get you a hit. And I'm oh, like I'm like, okay, like, what are you gonna do? <laughs> and so I get I get I get 1-0, and Bud Norris is throwing. At that point in his career, Bud Norris is throwing all cutters. You know, he could he could run it up to 97, but rarely did. He would just you know, he'd throw all cutters. And so you know the ball is going to be out over the plate. You need it out of the plate. And he goes 1-0, and he goes cutter that starts, like, just in off the plate and turns back. You know, it's, it comes right back onto the plate. I'm not going to say middle, middle, but it was pretty close to middle, middle. All right. And Laz goes, ball like really loud. And Jason Castro was catching. And Jason Castro was like, he was a rookie at the time, too. And he's like, okay, throws <laughs> it back. So now I'm 2 0 instead of 1 1. And then Bud Norris leaves a cutter out over the plate, and I get a face hit the right center. But it, it was, it was, it was the most dramatic ball that I remember. <laughs> Laz Diaz saying. it was
0: like ball. See that? And, uh, Umpires are people too. I love it, <laughs> Laz Diaz. Uh, so uh, I would imagine every time you see Laz, a little uh, tip of the cap for him, right?
2: Uh, it really, it really helped me understand that those guys. Yes, I knew they're people but it's one of those things that they really, you know, it, it kept me understanding from an early time that you deal with these guys, they, they can deal with you. They can, they can really manipulate how a game can go and yeah, you know, they're going to make mistakes. It's just a matter of, you know, how you deal with them. I think it's just like anything. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you deal with humans? Like they're humans, they want to do well and they can manipulate how, how a game
0: can go. Yep, I, I totally agree. And sometimes it is that simple, and uh, it seems to sometimes be a difficult thing for others to figure out. But uh, that's a conversation for another time. All right, <laughs> before I let you go, I got to ask you uh, about your time in Milwaukee because in, in Milwaukee, you know, we were watching you from afar, and you had, you know, a, a, a decent season with the Brewers, but you had kind of a magical postseason and there's a part of me that thinks man oh man nobody deserved that more than aircrafts and i i i can't imagine what it felt like as you're going through that as you think back to that time and just so people remember you were five for seven in the post game you had three hits in the clinching game uh for the nlds if i'm not mistaken um and you were the oldest guy to debut in the postseason for like 110 years or something like that so you put all of that together. It's a, it's a glove story dream. And, um, I, you know, in retrospect now, was that the most fun you had in your career?
2: Man, as, as you know, the playoffs are a tense time. Yeah. And I think, I think if I was 28 and it was my first playoffs and not 38 in my first not my first playoffs, but my first, you know, games that I got to play in the playoffs. Right. I, I think it would have been different, but I was so, I was able to enjoy so much of it because I had been to the playoffs and not played in 11 with the Phillies, mm-hmm. 14 with the Royals, 15 with the Royals, 17 with the Yankees, and then 18. So it was like, I, I saw uh, if if I could have had – more experience without ever playing it's not possible like i had so much playoff experience without ever playing right i know and and so it was like it was something that i was able to enjoy it i mean the most fun yeah obviously obviously there's so many moments if you made me choose one that we had to like have a whole glove story podcast about yeah Yeah, I I talk about the 2018 Brewers season because it was, it it was so awesome, but just like our, our playoff run in 17 with the Yankees or 20 with the Yankees or 14 and 15 with the Royals. Like anytime you accomplish a goal from spring training on and you have some part of it, even not playing or not playing, you have, you have such such a bond of you know with those guys I remember going into game seven Ryan Braun game seven of the NLCS with the Brewers and Ryan Braun goes he's like man we're getting ready for the game he goes I really like this team he said I really hope we can win this game he said because I see all the old guys from you know, the, uh, I forget what year it is, like the
0: 84. Yeah, something
2: like that. Yeah, man. 84 Brewers team. He's like, I see all those guys come back all the time. He's like, I would love to see you guys every year for, you know, or every five years, yep. just like they do it. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Not, not that we needed any more motivation to win the game to go to the World Series. but. Of to hear it from a guy like Ryan Braun, who can be, you know, he can be a little bit, you know, just, just like any other superstar, they have to, they have to buy their time. You know, they have to be kind of separate in certain situations. Uh, But to hear him say that and just because he had been with the Brewers that whole time. And it was something that was, that was, it was a cool, it was something that I'll never forget him saying going into that game. Obviously we lost, uh, but, It doesn't now it doesn't tarnish it. You know, I I, I'm sure people who don't have a World Series ring, it it probably hurts a little bit more. But to me, it was about it was about those moments and those times. And I still have great connections with all of those guys.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And that's and that's really what uh, at the end of the day, what baseball is all about is those uh, those last little bit of. Uh, connections that you keep for the rest of your life, even after you're done. All right. Final thing. um, Because I think this was another story that kind of made national headlines and and you may or may not know where I'm going, but when you were with the Yankees um, and you were talking uh, to the media uh, very publicly, you got emotional because you were talking about the young guys and, and uh, in particular, some of the young Latin pitchers that you had been working with and you're, the way that you handled that particular situation, I think, showed so many people that that maybe didn't know across the country um, what kind of person you are. I, I think it kind of laid it out there, and it became a it became a big story. And for whatever reason, you know, who knows why things become big stories? But um, w- do what do you remember about that time? Because obviously, that's not something that you were thinking about going into that that question and answer period.
2: No, 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 no. Yeah, it was it was. You know, a Zoom call, you just kind of go in and you, you talk about whatever they whatever they want to talk about. You don't really have the emotions normally aren't there. To cry on a Zoom call, I'm a crier. Yeah, That's what I do. I am too. But it was something that, you know, it, I have a... It's just kind of like what we just talked about. Yeah, The connection there with teammates can go deeper, but also you connect it with the rest of your life, what I call real life. You know, and and the connection between young Latin players, or just young players in general that are extremely talented that are making it up to the big leagues at twenty years old, like twenty. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wait, I was, was in college. <laughs> yeah, I was in college, and this kid's pitching in the big leagues, um, and or pitching in Triple A, whatever it is. And so you make that connection, and now I have now I have you know a fifteen year old. You know I have a at that time I had he was 13 and so it's like you you sit there and you you think about that and all that and I think probably the COVID season where you don't have yes. anybody yeah. mm-hmm. probably added into that but I I got no. like some people are like oh were you embarrassed that you cried on national television I was like or or on you know now not oh. national television, just YouTube <laughs> but I was yeah. like Like, no, I don't. But I've never gotten more people coming up to me and being and saying, like, thank you, or telling a story about when they were a young Latin player Mm -hmm. from coaches to bullpen catchers to veterans in the big leagues to rookies in the big leagues. Like, the next that were coming up to me, people were like, Running across the field as I'm going to catch a bullpen because you don't really play much when when you know I don't really play much when I play but you know they were they were coming out early to come and stay you know they because it it helped it it for they were were sixteen years old and coming over to a new country that they didn't know the language
1: yeah
2: and people don't see that people don't see that. They just see a superstar who can smash the baseball or can throw a baseball the- and they're like, oh yeah. They don't see that they probably if they're over here at 16, they're probably in, they're probably out of their family by 14, right? Going to the Boscans and the camps and the schools down there. So it's like, you know, there there's a lot that's not there's a lot that's not seen. Except for when you're that teammate, you're the teammate of that guy and mm-hmm. and to gloss over that fact is is crazy because if it would happen to any American player, it would be like the biggest headlines, not just in your hometown it'd be national headlines and these guys do it every single year.
0: Yep. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it comes back to kind of what has been what a, a theme in this particular episode of Glove Stories, and that is that uh, you know baseball is a wonderful sport and a great platform, and it's filled with human beings that are playing these games and umpiring and coaching and broadcasting and doing all of those things, uh, and yes. it's important to remember that, and it's important to remember that uh, if you really have that dream, uh, then uh, you look at a guy like Eric Kratz who spent 19 seasons, parts of 19 seasons, in the minor leagues and parts of 11 in the big leagues, um, but certainly made his mark on baseball and continues to do that. And uh, we are just thrilled to have uh, Kratzy as part of the radio team now. Um, we're putting him through the paces. We're treating him like a rookie. Uh, that's that's the way it works. So my bags will be ready, Eric, uh, just for you to grab uh, <laughs> uh, on the next road trip. I told you a lot. <laughs> not in july all right well then my bags will sit until july uh hey thank you so much for doing this i know your, your schedule's crazy and you're driving to baseball practice right now but we certainly appreciate it
2: Murph, right you're the best i appreciate it
0: all right eric kratz joining us here on glove stories when we come back we'll check in with charlie Manuel and larry boa that's all coming up next on glove stories with murph the all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs, and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend—the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony, right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money, all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at betparks.com, and use my promo code MURF. Bet Parks is also an official proud betting operator of the PGA Tour the all-new Bed Parks
1: Casino and Sportsbook app.
0: You must be 21 and in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
1: Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History, presented by Shy Vintage Sports. This week features two memorable pitching performances. First, Jim Bunnings' unforgettable perfect game at Shea Stadium on Father's Day in 1964. Then, seven years and a day later, Rick Wise dominates Cincinnati by throwing a no-hitter and hitting two homers. Celebrate Philly sports history with a unique unique Father's Day gift from shy Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or Shivesports.com. Phillies
0: Nation is your source for breaking news, original analysis, trade insights, and more. Read today's articles at philliesnation.com. Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, as we welcome in, as we do every week, Charlie Manuel and Larry Boa here on the podcast. And we're talking about an interesting topic today that is somewhat topical in Philadelphia over the last couple of weeks. New manager with the Philadelphia Phillies, Rob Thompson, taking over for Joe Girardi midseason. And uh, it doesn't happen often, maybe two or three times a year in Major League Baseball, but teams make changes. And uh, both of you gentlemen have been involved with that in all aspects of baseball. So Charlie, I'll I'll start with you. Changing a manager midseason, when does it work?
3: And when does it just kind of eyewash? I think it uh I think sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think it uh I think it can work because of the uh, the fact that uh you got good players sitting in a uh, clubhouse and you realize that you're a better team than wh- the way you've been playing and uh and sometimes it, it kind of jump you in some way. Uh, when I was in, uh, Cleveland, that's the first time I was managing in the major leagues and they made a change after the all-star break. And, uh, uh you know, like we had, uh, uh, Mark Sapiro had been, uh, he got hired as a general manager and actually he basically it boiled down to him wanting his team and things like that. And that's what I got out of the conversation we had when we talked and, uh, and you know, like, and and also too, you know, like, we was in a rebuilding process, and we uh, took like six hundred uh, RBIs off our team. You know, like, uh, you know, like year before, uh, uh, you know, that winter. Yeah. And uh, if you go back and look, you know, like, we did not have a real good team. And, but at the same time, I felt like he he definitely wanted his guy, and um, and that's kind of the way the uh, baseball works. You know, like when you're not winning. And things like that you're you know like you're kind of uh sitting there and and when things don't go good the old saying is you can't fire all the players and uh but also too, you know like you can add personnel up in the front office too you know like you can't go in there and fire every one of them so <laughs> exactly you know right. i think i think a manager just you know like he walked right into that then when i got fired in uh uh, uh philly I felt like at the uh, same thing, you know, like we were talking about how we were built to win. All you got to do is go back and look at our team. I look at uh, uh, the the time I had in Philly, I think, you know, Murph 212 might've been one of the best years that we, best job for our coaches, staff, and, and the manager. If you go look, we, you know, like with a uh, team that we had, Yeah. but at the it, same yeah. time too, you know, like, there again you're getting into opinions and you are know, like and and uh when when uh things get going and, and and they say you're sitting in a hot seat it always points toward you and uh i think that's that is what you take on when you accept being a manager and uh but at the same time too i think it uh uh it, it creates uh uh, by getting rid of a guy sometime, definitely, you know, like it can jumpstart your team. I, there's been times if you go back, I remember when Bob Lemon got hired over Billy Martin or something like that. And uh, I, I can I'm, I can remember Harvey King getting uh, hired in Milwaukee and, and you, he came in and turned around to a winning team and things like that. But, you know, like that's kind of how it goes. But at the same time too, you know, like it's it comes down to, the point where you lose confidence in that guy as far as being that man to run your team. I believe that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, Larry, when, when you sign up to be a major league manager, you know, it's not, it's not a job for life. It's not, it's not the right. Supreme court. You know, it's going to end at some point. Um, what are your thoughts on all that?
4: Well, I, I agree as with Charlie is sometimes it helps. Sometimes it doesn't, uh, you know, in, in, in the situation here in Philly, let's face it, this team, when we broke camp, the asset was offense. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone knew we were going to hit, we were going to hit well up until Joe got fired. They didn't hit on a consistent basis. And so I guess Dave and the front office felt maybe a new voice might jump start this team. Uh, I know when I played and a manager got fired, I took it personal. I don't know if players take it personal. I mean, you got to look in the mirror sometimes as a player and say, you know what, this is this is another excuse for me because we're going to get a new manager but you know and and sometimes a different voice does help I mean the one thing that stands out with Rob and Joe is it seems like Rob's got a set lineup now and his bullpen is sort of this guy pitches this inning which I think might stabilize that stuff Mm -hmm. but again uh you know I, I look at Joe Madden he got fired and it didn't help there they lost the next two or three games right right away yeah so it all depends on the ball club but This really didn't shock me, not the fact that Joe got fired, but this team is starting to hit because I thought, Charlie and I both thought, when we broke camp, the one thing that's going to be consistent is the offense. And it just wasn't there. And now lately, the offense has been there. And when you score a lot of runs, Murph, as you well know, you cover baseball. It covers up a lot of warts. It covers up your defense. It covers up your bullpen if it's not pitching well. It gives the starting pitcher more confidence to go deeper in the game when you score five, six, seven runs. You know, when Joe was managing, it was three to two, four to three. And all of a sudden now that the offense starts clicking. So I, I think it's in the eye of the beholder. Sometimes it does help. A, a new voice does help. But over the course of 162 games, Murph, it's all going to even out. And you're going to find out if this team really did need a new manager or was it just coincidental that they started hitting the ball
0: the way they were capable. Yeah. I, I will say this about the, uh, the players in the Phillies clubhouse on the day that Joe got fired. Uh, You know, I talked to six or seven or eight of them uh, on that day. And the next couple of days, and, and each one of them said exactly that, look, we take this personally because at the end of the day, it's us not playing well, that, that right. the reason that a man lost his job. And 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 right. I, I do believe they, they understood that. So maybe it does in the, at least in the short term, Kind of give him a little kick in the butt and and, and, a, and a look in the mirror uh, right. to, to, to make things, you know, to do something to change it up. Uh, Charlie, if when you're a player, uh, if 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 you had a change in manager or, you know, obviously you don't like every guy you play for. I'm sure uh, if you have a change in manager that uh, just didn't suit your style, did you feel like it helped your game uh, going forward? Is that a possibility? <laughs>
3: I kind of feel like exactly like both says. I feel like it, uh, I did not do my job. And, you know, like, and, uh, and uh, uh, I actually I let, I let the guy down. And, you know, like and, uh, I wanted to be much better uh, person than that, really. You know, like I didn't, you know, like I've never wanted to see a manager get fired because I, you know, like now that I've been in the game for a long time, you know, like I know how you feel. And also I know uh, the, how hard the job is. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I, when I look at it, like Bo said, you know, like we, we spent a lot of money on our, on our hitting and we were built for hitting and we come out spring training. Once we got Swerber and Castellanos, you know, like we, we uh, thought we was going to, you know, light it up like we have for this past week. But uh, at the same time too, when I look back uh, I can look back at, at baseball and when you talk about offense, uh, and people talk about beating the shift and manufacturing runs, you know, like uh, I, I look at those teams I had in Cleveland, also I look at our team, and I, I, I do compare them. And uh, to me, uh, uh, to, uh, offense is, is, can be steady if you uh, uh, touch all the, all the ways that you can uh, manufacture runs. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, I think they just manufacture runs And as far as, you know, hitting homers and things like, hitting homers mostly. And, and, and of course doubles can help you, but at the same time too, you know, like we're taking the running game out of the, out of the, out of baseball, we're taking the, the contact hitter, uh, guys like Ricky Henderson, uh, Kenny Loft and Coleman, uh, I can name Utley's uh, Rollins is uh, they were not great good nowadays. And, uh, but they, those are what I call high end offensive teams. The teams that's got the consistent hitting down through the middle of the lineup and it's hard to go through their lineup. And all of a sudden you you can play little ball, things like that. And uh, we had a team actually in Philly that I felt like the fans fell in love with our team and we can manufacture runs in a lot of ways. And we at, at times we didn't have to bunt because we could steal and things right. like that. And, uh, right. you know, like I look at that and and if you've got a team that you built for power along, if you look and go down through the, the compare, uh, 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 co- compare the hitting on, on, on a real good team 10 or 15 years ago to, to a real good hitting team now, and you'll see the power and, and uh, you will see ways if they play the uh, baseball, uh, what I call a correct way of playing it the whole game, you know, like I still think it, that that is the best offense.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with that. All right, let me ask you one final question, both of you, before uh, we wrap this segment. Uh, most influential manager that you guys played for—is um, is there one guy that that to you really impacted the game? Maybe not on a daily basis, but certainly on a a week by week basis.
4: Larry, you I, go. Ahead. I, I think I think uh, and and it showed as far as us advancing farther than just the playoffs when dallas took over his personality was completely different than danny ozar now i really like danny ozar he was perfect for our team but the as charlie said earlier the old saying is it's easier to get rid of one guy than it is 25 and we at that time we were probably underachieving there's no question about that Mm -hmm. and then dallas came in with a complete different personality uh you know danny was very low-key very seldom. If he got on you, it was behind closed doors. And Dallas, on the other hand, he, he did He wasn't afraid to holler at you in front of twenty-five guys. Nice. And you know, maybe today that wouldn't work, but back when we played, it worked. Yeah. And so you can't you can't argue with that. The one thing I would I would add to that, you know, you asked Charlie if it meant a difference if you liked a manager or didn't like a manager. Yeah. I will guarantee this, and Charlie can verify this. When you step in the box, and, and Charlie Manuel's the manager, and I didn't like Charlie, I'm going to say, oh, I don't like Charlie, so I'm going to strike out. Or you didn't like Larry <laughs> Bow I'm going to step in the box and say, uh, you know what? I don't want to play for this guy. When you get in the box, it's you against the pitcher. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter who's in that dugout over there. Mm-hmm. So those players that tell you, oh, I couldn't play for this guy, to me, that's a cop-out. You go out there and you play the game. You might not like the guy, but you play the game the same way. Yeah.
0: Hey, we all have bosses yeah. we don't like sometimes, right?
2: Exactly.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> go and do your job. Go ahead and do your job. All right, Charlie, you get the final thought. Uh, most influential manager for you?
3: Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, like uh, one year, Billy Martin. Hmm. Ten years, Walter Alston. Okay. There you go. That's a good yeah, answer. That's a good yeah. answer. Again, yeah, different personalities, right? Yeah I, think, yeah. I think it I think Billy Martin for one year, yeah. you know, like uh, uh, he's he's amazing, but as time goes on, definitely he can he wears. I mean he yeah. wears on you and you know, like in who he is. I that's think awesome. Walter Austin was a, is a uh, he's the same every day and he really and Austin had a low demeanor, but at the same time he could really communicate with you. And, and, uh, and, and, and he would, he, he could make you feel comfortable and uh, he, he got the most out of his players.
0: Great stuff. Love it. All right. Well, we'll see what happens uh, for the rest of this season in Philadelphia with their manager change. I know all three of us uh, are saying, here's hoping, here's hoping it turns it around because it'll, right. it'll be a lot of fun throughout this summer. Charlie, Larry, thanks for your time as always. And we'll talk to you next week.
3: All right. Thanks, Bert, Mark. Take care. Yeah.
1: Welcome to This Week in Philly Baseball History presented by Scheib Vintage Sports. This week features two memorable pitching performances. First, Jim Bunning's unforgettable perfect game at Shea Stadium on Father's Day in 1964. Then, seven years and a day later, Rick Wise dominates Cincinnati by throwing a no-hitter and hitting two homers. Celebrate Philly sports history with a unique Father's Day gift from Shive Vintage Sports. Visit them at 13th and Walnut Streets or ShibeSports.com.
0: The all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app is here for both Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Get in on all the action, whether it's baseball, the basketball and hockey playoffs, golf, all your favorite sports. Download the all new Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app and make your first bet risk free up to $750. Bet more than the score. Bet on individual player performances for hits, home runs, and strikeouts. Bet innings, first team to score, and more. Bet Parks is the only sportsbook and casino app that I recommend. The Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, where odds, bets, slots, and games all come together in perfect harmony right in your pocket. Sportsbook and all your favorite casino games for real money all in one amazing app. Live in-game betting lets you bet while you watch the game. Download right now in the App Store, Google Play Store, or at BetParks.com and use my promo code, MURPH bet parks is also an official proud betting operator of the pga tour the all-new bet parks casino and sportsbook app you must be 21 and in pennsylvania or new jersey gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER phillies nation is your source for breaking news original analysis trade insights and more read today's articles at (laughs) philliesnation.com Welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by Bet Parks Sportsbook and Casino app, the great folks at Chive Vintage Sports and the great folks at Phillies Nation who we have to happen to have one with us today. Tim Kelly is the editorial director for Phillies Nation and uh covers the Phillies on a daily basis. So we thought, why not get his insights on some of the broader topics that surround this team? So, Tim, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Good to see you. No problem. Good to talk to you, Murph. All right, so let's talk about this uh, 2022 Phillies team. Uh, as we talk right now, Phil's a couple games above five hundred, finishing up what has been a pretty successful road trip. And uh, But there's a lot of things surrounding this team that are worth talking about. And and one of the things I want to get your thoughts on are how impressed have you been with this starting staff? I don't think it's getting enough attention um, because they are a top, I would say, six or seven major league staff at this point and in the way they produce, would, would you agree with that?
5: Yeah, they are. I mean, you, you've seen flashes the last two years of Nola and Wheeler both being on, but they really weren't consistently on at the same time right now you're in a stretch where both of them have been excellent i think if you're just going i know we're going to get into all-star candidates but if you're just going like the top seven pitchers in baseball right now nola and wheeler would probably both be in there based off what they've done this season so to have that and then if you're able to get more i think kyle gibson has probably given you more than you've expected uh, Zach Eflin, obviously there've been some health issues, but Ranger Suarez was excellent in two out of his last three starts. So you're, you're in a very good position with your starting rotation.
0: Yeah. And that so that leads back to the ultimate goal. And that is, Hey, get into the postseason, and anything can happen, especially when you have a starting staff, the way the Phillies do, but they've got some work to do to get to the postseason and we'll talk about that in in a couple minutes but you mentioned all-stars and we are we are approaching the all-star break it's about uh two and a half weeks away i guess at this point um and uh you know right now bryce harper looks like he'll get voted in as the designated hitter as he should uh who else do you see that might be deserving of a nod to to go
5: well, what I would say is like in the National League, Sandy Alcantara and Joe Musgrove are going to be the locks pitching wise and Zach Wheeler and Aaron Ola both deserve to be there if it's just the, the best candidates but other things factor in you have to consider that every team gets an all star, the Phillies are going to have a position all star so uh it it may be less likely that they end up with two pitchers but in in terms of who deserves it i think both nola and wheeler deserve to be there we'll see what happens there and then uh, i know some people will scoff at the batting average but in terms of power production and consistently getting on base kyle schwarber is is someone that deserves a look and the fact that he's played and is liked in now four major media markets that certainly isn't going to hurt him in terms of fan voting
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, look, he's got another couple of weeks before it's all said and done. So he continues to be on the hot tear. Those numbers are going to look even better. I wonder if you had to pick, and it's a tough question, I guess, but if you had to pick between Wheeler and Nola, where would you go with that?
5: I would still lean Wheeler, but it's a lot closer than it was a week ago because obviously Nola goes eight shutout innings in D.C. last weekend. And then Wheeler's most recent start was a little bit shorter. A little bit of bad luck there as well, but uh, yeah I I think they're pretty much neck and neck, which means these next few weeks kind of determine which of those two potentially goes to their second all star game and maybe which one stays home it's possible both go but again there's a, a lot of considerations that go in here, which is probably why. Viewing players' legacies based off of all-star game appearances probably isn't the (laughs) best way to look at things.
0: Oh, another topic for another day. That (laughs) is for sure. Um, But, uh, yes, I would agree with that. All right. Uh, In in terms of this team, um, obviously, in June, they've started playing much better baseball. Uh, It's been fun to watch. They've kind of uh, figured out ways to win games that they probably shouldn't have been winning, uh, as opposed to losing games that they probably shouldn't have been losing. Uh, Certainly a refreshing change. Do you anticipate uh, it? uh, It'll level out a little bit, but do you anticipate it staying um, on the positive side of things as we continue through the season?
5: Yeah, I do. Uh, It's just a matter of whether how far up into the positive things you get. Rob Thompson talked about getting back to 500, then you get to five games, then you get to 10 games above 500. And obviously to have any chance in the NL East, you're gonna to have to be well over 10 games above 500. Even to win a wild card, even with the third wild card spot this year, there's there's not much of a middle class. You're either like a 90 win team or you're like a 68 win team. So the Phillies are going to have to get to around that 90 win mark probably to get one of those wild card spots and Closer to 95 or above to get uh, a chance at the NL East. So uh, I, I anticipated being above 500, but before the season, I think there was a thought: if you win 84 games, it's maybe not that great of a season, but you can probably get that third wild card spot. I don't think that's going to happen.
0: No, I would agree with you. I, it's going to be closer to 90. There are teams that got out to really quick starts and now just almost have to play 500 ball just to kind of stay in that realm. So uh, yeah, the Phillies dug themselves a pretty big hole. They know that they've. Done out of the hole, but now they're at ground level. So they still yeah. have to start climbing at this point. And uh, you know, winning series will do that. And that's what they've got to continue to do. Uh they've done a nice job of that in June. All right. Obviously this team probably doesn't go far if Bryce Harper doesn't continue to do what he's doing as the DH and maybe even get back out there in right field. Uh how concerned are you about the uh, long term health prognosis of their uh right fielder slash designated hitter right now?
5: Well, I think I'm not concerned that he'll be able to DH. I I guess I'll say I believe it when I see it when he ends up back in right field this season. Uh, I'm not saying it won't work, but it's not necessarily something that I would bank on happening. And you are, as much as Bryce Harper is kind of a mixed bag in the outfield, he is a significantly better option out there than Nick Castellanos. And having the DH freed up just puts you in a better position as a team where you can rotate Schwarber, Castellanos, Gregorius, Alec Boehm, Reese Hoskins, whoever, and of course, Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto. So you're a better team when you have Bryce Harper in right field, but the biggest thing is being able to have Bryce Harper in the lineup because he's one of the top two or three hitters in the sport right now. So uh, Joe Girardi had said it earlier in the season, thank God for the DH. Yes. A year ago, Bryce Harper probably would have been out for the season or out for a substantial chunk of time and this wouldn't have happened. Instead, he's having... I don't even think it's a debate, like offensively, he's having a much better season than he was at this time last year. Now, he had a massive second half last year. We'll see if that happens. But uh, this is by far, I think, his best offensive season since 2015, which is really held up as like one of the great offensive seasons of the last 25 years.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It'll be interesting to see the residual effects going forward in years to come uh, when they look back at this season, if he were to continue to do what he's doing, uh, there are going to be managers and general managers you know, for the Phillies. Cause he's going to be with this team that are going to say, Hmm, maybe less time in right field and, and more time just as the DH is, is a secret to getting this guy um, to, to stay healthy and, and be where we need him to be. It, it will be interesting. Bryce will fight that. He wants to be out there. There's no doubt about it. But uh, if he has the second half, that he had last year, I mean, he's liable to win uh, a batting title because he's in the mix, and and that second half was outstanding, Um, and I think he would certainly be in the mix for the MVP talk again, for sure.
5: Yeah, there's going to be people that will never vote for DH for MVP, so in that sense, it's probably good for him to get back out there. Uh, and I would side. Like, if it's even, if you have two even candidates, I would side with the guy that plays in the field. But I, I do think it's a little bit silly when we talk about the MVP race last year. It came down to Bryce Harper, Fernando Tati. Like, a, a lot of these guys, they're in the field, but they weren't grading out well exactly. in the field. So, right. how much stock do you put into just a guy playing in the field if they're not playing at it at a high level?
0: Very rarely are you talking about gold glove caliber, you know. Defense. When you're talking about MVP voting, I mean, sometimes for sure, uh, a guy like Mike Schmidt that certainly helped his case. But um, you know, for the most part, that's an offensive, an offensive award. And uh, if you put up the numbers, you should be in the conversation. All right, Tim Kelly from Phillies Nation, the editorial director for Phillies Nation, uh, giving us his insights and uh, his thoughts on this 2022 Phillies team. We're gonna see you uh, what once a month now here on the podcast. We look forward to. It.
5: I look forward to it too. Thanks, man. All
0: right. Thanks, Tim, and uh, we'll be right back. Glove Stories with Murph is sponsored by the Bet Parks Casino and Sportsbook app, along with Shine Vintage Sports and Phillies Nation, and is a presentation of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of the major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe.